Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Nicola Owen is a trained teacher, wellbeing practitioner and the founder of Zenic Wellbeing, which she describes as a preventative collection of workshops, staff training and support for children, teachers and parents in wellbeing. In this episode, Nicola and I discuss perimenopause, the menopause and hormonal imbalance. Okay. So I'm having a conversation with my mum about perimenopause in the middle of Asda, looking buying tampons, and I'm thinking, why have we not had this chat earlier? Having had to self-diagnose perimenopause and persuade her doctor to prescribe HRT, she has become an expert on dealing with the difficulties the health service presents us women with. I was like, going on, all the things that I did, all the positive things, and the only thing he was interested in is giving me a blood test. Now, I, I walked in there nearly 44, I think it was a couple of weeks off turning 44. He said, you're only 43, you can't be perimenopausal. And I just looked at him and I went, I can. I said, you can give me your blood test. I said, but I can tell you now that that won't show you anything. In this episode, we talk about why we're still having to work hard to find answers, why we've only just made women's health part of doctor training, and what this means for the generation of women who have missed out on expert care. A lot of women go into the doctors and they immediately think, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like me anymore. And immediately, they look at symptoms in isolation and think, how could I treat that symptom? So let's get to it. Nicola Rowan of Zenic Wellbeing, welcome. Welcome, Nicola. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to come along. You're so welcome. And we connected on Twitter when I saw a tweet that you shared about an upcoming doctor's appointment that you had. And the tweet conveyed a frustration that I and many women are all too familiar with. This pinning of all hopes on this one next appointment that it will finally provide you with possible solutions to tackle all the different complicated health issues that we face. Now, of course, I haven't asked you to come on here to um, compare GP appointments, but what this tweet did bring to the foreground was the ineffectiveness and current lack of targeted and researched female medical care. So before we delve into this bleak reality of women's health, let's find out a bit more about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that tweet was um, it was quite... Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a source of frustration for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm, I'm Nick Owen, and I am the owner of Zenic Wellbeing Limited, which is um, a wellbeing business, if you like, that, that helps support initially children in schools with their mental health and wellbeing. And I decided to set my business up um, after um, a bit of an epiphany, I think is the right word to use. So I was around 37 um, and my dad came along one Christmas and he took a photograph of myself, my husband and my two children around the Christmas tree in our Christmas jumpers. And he sent the picture via WhatsApp and I was like, oh, look at this picture. I was like, I don't even know who she is. So I, I sort of like had a lost moment um, and it really got me thinking. I, th- I don't know whether it was the fact that I was approaching the big four or what, but it made me realise that life was sort of like I was on autopilot. I didn't realise what was happening around me. I was just getting on with it. Um, and I think that I'd lost my way and lost who I was. Um, so I went on a, a self-discovery journey of, you know, making sure that I was looking after my health. Um, I joined the gym, you know, do the whole looking after myself physically. Um, and then I started to explore the possibilities of looking after myself mentally. Uh, I underwent some CBT for past trauma. And I also um, decided to explore meditation and mindfulness. Uh, became a mindfulness practitioner, studied, studied a course. Um, and I started to see the benefits of using my practice in the classroom and the effect that that had on the children. I had bundles of energy, I was more um, productive, I had more patience. And when I started to share my um, practices with the children, I started to see a significant improvement in their concentration, their um, resilience, Mm -hmm. and their ability to um, make progress. So I guess the impact of my personal journey had an impact on the work that I was doing with children so as I explored that further I decided that I wanted to do more within the school um, that I was working in and I wanted to do more within education to support young people's um, self-care and well-being 
in order for them to be the best version of themselves. So yeah, I decided to set up a business. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I've not got a business mind at all. Anybody who meets me, I'm like, you know, I do the whole, you know, I've got a website and I'm sure anybody listening will look at it and go, actually, you know, it's not been updated for a while. Or <laughs> I, I'm very much, um, the actual work that I do is 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 the, the driving force for me. I'm, I'm not, I don't do marketing yeah. and all that, the whole business side of it. Uh, so it's, it did scare me and I didn't know what I was going to do with it, to be honest. Um, but I just set it up and I thought I'm going to continue with my own professional development. Uh, I had a chat with my head teacher and decided that I wanted to go part-time. So I did. Um, and I went down to three and days. Are you still working part-time? Uh, I'm not now. No, I'm actually okay. working full-time yeah. for myself now. Um, right. So yeah, I, I, I went part-time. Um, I was in year one at the time, then they moved me back to year six, um, and I was working with um, the deputy head, and then in November, November, December time, well, early December, my mother-in-law sadly died after a long illness, mm. and my mum got bowel cancer at the same time, and it was like the oh, universe yeah. was telling me that you're on here once, and you need to follow your heart and follow your dreams and do what you think that you're here to do. So yeah. February 2020, um, after some number crunching and lots of discussions with my family, decided that I was going to go full time and obviously handed my notice in and then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I began wow. my full time work in September of 2020 and wow. have been working that was a time. Mm, yeah definitely and I love my work I love what I do I work with a variety of people I work with children I work with parents I work with teachers I work with outside agencies I'm currently working mm. with my local authorities so adult social work team um, I work with um, early careers social workers currently supporting their self-care practices and mindfulness to avoid burnout um so yeah so I'm doing lots and lots of wonderful things I really enjoy what I yeah. do and um do I miss teaching yes do I miss the paperwork and all the headaches no um yeah. but I, I do miss being with the children but I do get the perks actually working with children in different schools so <laughs> I get the most, best of both this worlds is, this is the sad thing I think about teaching is that so many people actually want to remain in teaching they love being with children it's a shame that the tick box exercises mean that a lot of people good people leave as well but um it's interesting you talk about uh, your your reflections at 37 because I'm finding that women do find a lot of my friends I'm I'm now 38 are stopping and reflecting on past choices current lifestyles are dealing with lots of different complex hormones and um yeah it's a big change isn't it it is a time that we seem to stop and reflect it is and I think I mean I've had this conversation with lots of my girlfriends um I think it's that halfway house, isn't it? You know, because, you know, average life expectancy of a woman, I think, is 77. If I'm, might, might, might be wrong on that one. But, you know, you think 80 years old, that's the, you know, the, the age, isn't it? And you think, actually, I want to live past that. I want to I want to fulfil my dreams. I want to, um, to live a long and happy life. And, and I think when you get to a point of... I think for me, my life, I talk about this quite often and I encourage children to have more of a, a climbing wall lifestyle rather than a ladder. And I think for me, as I was growing up, it was always the expectation that you was going to do well in your GCSEs, you were then going to do your A-levels, go on to do, get a degree, you know, uh, you were going to meet somebody, fall in love, uh, get married, have children, buy a house. And all of these things, they're all on this like next rung of a ladder and you're constantly climbing this ladder. And I talk to children about how this, for me now, I've, I've jumped off a ladder and I'm now on a climbing wall <laughs> and I can go in any direction that I want. As long as I'm moving and I'm learning and I'm, you know, I'm, things might not be the right choice. You can, you can take sideways steps, you can take backward steps. Um, as long as you're doing it for you and it, and you, you, you're really focused on that drive of fulfilling your your why and your purpose so I think that's really important because I think we do get to a point now 
where we do sit back and think, you know, I mean, I had my children at 27 and 30. Um, and it's that, okay, they're growing up now. Where where am I going? What next? Because yeah. that sort of leaves, doesn't it? You know? Um, it does. And it changes mm. you. You know, you come out the other side and, you, like you say, you kind of lose who you are. Mm. You have to refine. Yeah, I mean, I was Nick that went to the theatre that got involved in all sorts of different things, you know, going to gigs, and, and I lost all that because, obviously, I had responsibilities to my family and to my children. And, and I just think what we do, and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but as women, we always put ourselves at the bottom of the pile. And I, I think... I think sometimes we, we need to do that and I've, I've used this analogy quite often is you know we, I have been buried and I'm now actually growing I'm coming to the surface and I'm ready to bloom and I'm ready to be me um, and I think having that support from the people that are around you and the people that love you and, and encourage you you know having the right people around you is really crucial as well that you've got that support network. Um, I've got some very good girlfriends. My husband's very supportive. My mum's my brilliant. I can talk to her about anything. Um, and I think having those relationships, those solid relationships can really help. And we've not all got that, you know. But it's yeah, finding yeah. the people that you need in your circle, I guess. Yeah, definitely. People who can talk things through with you. But what's also interesting is the older generation. So parents or women from older generations who I often talk to my mum about some of the things that I'm going through maybe hormonally physically um, and she she goes oh yeah I kind of did feel that but I didn't really see it as an issue because that's just what I had to deal with and it's this education I get that that we it's slow moving but we are learning Mm. about women's issues and you know, I feel for that generation who would have just experienced these well, things. Well, I've, I've been doing, I mean, I had a, a chat with my mum. We were in the supermarket of all places and I was buying some tampons mm. and I just said, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to get the extra heavy floor. And she went, why? I said, well, I've gone really heavy. She said, oh, that happened to me. And I said, all right. I said, when did you actually start noticing symptoms, mum, that you're going through the change? And she said, well, I was about 40, 41. And I was stood there at 43 and I'm thinking, oh, it, it was like this dawn of realisation. And she said, and your nana did the same. She was really early. And I was like, okay. So I'm having a conversation with my mum about perimenopause in the middle of Asda, looking, buying tampons. And I'm thinking, why have we not had this chat earlier? Why yeah, isn't... It's taken that yeah, long. Yeah. And it's like this realisation. And we were chatting the other the other week. My mum and dad came for Sunday tea. And she was telling me about um, her osteoarthritis and her knees. And she was saying, oh, it's giving me so much grief at the moment. And I was like, do you do, you do realise, Mum, that if you'd have had what I've fought for 20 years ago, I said, that might not be happening now. And she went, really? And I went, yeah. I said, Andy bowel cancer. I said, there's links between that as well. And she was, really? I was like, yep. She was like, wow, why why didn't, why wasn't it? She said it was frowned upon like 20 years ago because people were saying it gives you breast cancer and you're going to, you know, it's all these negative things. And there's this hormone replacement. Yeah, treatment. yeah, that's what we were talking yeah. about. And yeah, yeah, she was like, wow. I said, but you, you weren't aware mm. of it. I said, she said, no, she said, our generation just had to get on with it and go through it. Yeah. And I was like, there was so much negative press mm, about HRT. Gosh, yeah. Um, but we're learning so much yeah, more. Yeah, definitely. So, Many women experience health issues that are connected to you know, a variety of things, menstruation, contraception, hormone imbalances, which are all such delicate and complex by their very nature. But when we experience these things, it exposes the inadequacies in our healthcare systems and it forces us to take matters into our own hands. Um, tell us about your health journey and the reason for your frustrations with and passions for women's health. Yeah, I mean, there is a gender health gap in our NHS there always has been um, and hopefully we are taking steps to move forward to, to, to shortening that gap and, and getting rid of it completely but um, yeah going back to that little um, trip to the supermarket and I was buying my, my, my tampons um, it got me thinking um, and I started to explore the possibility of you know either an early menopause or because I was sterilized you see at 38 and I didn't know whether that had had an effect on um, how soon menopause might come knocking at my door. Um, so I was exploring that and I was doing a lot of reading. I, kept, I stumbled across Dr. Louise Newsom, 
and um she's still like the lady that's been on Lorraine she's been she's got her own podcast she's got um the balance app that she she does um she's got her own practice as well as being a general practitioner um so I was doing a lot of reading around this um this idea that actually I could be in perimenopause um and when I did mention it to my mum she was like you're either in the menopause or you're not you can't have this perimenopause. I was yeah. like, yes, you can. She <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so like very dismissive. And I just said, yeah. you know, so there's lots of there's lots of things that are happening to me that I can't quite explain. And it's a bit like finding little jigsaw pieces, you know, things like I was feeling tired at certain times within my menstrual cycle, um, feeling like that lethargic, no energy, no oomph, no get up and go. Uh, I was feeling achy. Now, I train, I go to the gym. And I was speaking with my um, my PT about this, and he actually said to me, he said, you do realise that you've, at different points in your menstrual cycle, that you lose your hormones, like your hormones dip, and because of the dip in your hormone, that's how you feel, you know, you're more prone to um, hurting yourself and injuring yourself, you've got less energy, you want to eat more of the wrong stuff. Um, so you've got to be very aware and I think this self-awareness came to light for me of actually how am I feeling and what do I need and how that was I don't know how it was managed how it was like um see I'm losing words again already <laughs> um, it's that <laughs> yeah yeah the brain, yeah, the brain fog, fog is, real, is definitely it? real but it's that um tracking of of how you're feeling monitoring it and being very self-aware so Having had that conversation with my mum over possibility of me actually being perimenopausal, did a lot of research, started to track my mood, started to track how I was feeling physically, mentally, um, started tracking my periods very closely. Although they still remained regular, there was a change in flow, I was heavier and they went um, over a short period of time. So it was like all these little jigsaw pieces were coming together and it was creating this picture for me that made me realise that actually I am in perimenopause and how am I going to deal with this what am I going to do and it took me a good 12 months to collect all this data I was going to say how long were yeah. you tracking with because when you're going through these things and someone says you need to track your systems for uh, your symptoms sorry for a year or two yeah. it can feel so frustrating mm. frustrating because it's like oh my goodness that's so long yeah. it, it can feel like that but I think that my my theory is that you know the more information I had the more chance of getting what I needed quicker and this is this comes down to the healthcare system mm. because there's not enough knowledge or research so we have to be the ones exactly to, uh, I mean kind of put it in front of it's them. quite scary I mean we've got over 300,000 GPs working in the UK um, and the splits around 55% men to 45% women and you would think that looking at the, our population uh, that if you were to walk into any GP that you'll be able to speak to somebody who will be able to talk to you about women's health care and have somebody who's the specialist. I actually rang my GP's surgery and said, you know, could I speak to the women's health practitioner? And they pardon. <laughs> I was like, the women's <laughs> health practitioner, oh, we've not got one of them. We've got a female doctor if you want to talk to her. Yeah, I've never come across uh, a practitioner so, before. So wow. I was like... Well, just because it's a woman doesn't mean to say that I said no because I can speak to my usual GP I said because obviously I'm sure he's got some understanding of what women's health care is um, and when I booked it the appointment um, as I said I think I'm perimenopausal and he just went right I'll get you a blood test he, did, he cut me off yeah. Ah, no, 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 stop, please. I yeah. want to talk yeah. about it. I said, I need to tell you yeah. what's been happening. And because I used the balance app from Dr. Louise Newson, what they did is the data that I inputted, it actually generates a report for your doctor, uh, which is absolutely groundbreaking, really, because you think this is brilliant. Um, so I said, you know, the symptoms list is here. These are the symptoms that I'm hitting. Um on a regular basis, this is what's been happening to me over the last 12 months, this is how I've been feeling, uh, this is what I do to support my own well-being, you know, I practice yoga, I meditate daily, I exercise three to, four, to five times a week, I walk on a regular basis because I have a dog, um, I, I really do look after myself, I look after my diet, I'm very conscious, mm. I don't drink alcohol, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I was like going on all the things that I did, all the positive things. And the only thing he was interested in is giving me a blood test. 
No, I, yeah. I walked in there nearly 44. I think it was a couple of weeks off turning 44. He said, you're only 43. You can't be perimenopausal. And I just looked at him and I went, I can. And I'm nearly 44. <laughs> and he just sort of like looked and I said, I said, you can give me your blood test. I said, but I can tell you now that that won't show you anything. And he looked at me and he said, well, we're going to, you know, look at your FSH levels. And I just said, yes, but they fluctuate. I said, throughout my cycle anyway. I said, so yeah. if you're going to blood test me, I said, you might as well do one every week. I said, and you can get an average. And I said, but it's not going to show up. I said, so it's a pointless exercise, a waste of time, a waste of money. I said, a waste of energy. I said, but if that's the process that you've got to go down. He said, well, what we usually do is we will offer you a blood test. And if the... Um, the FSH levels are fine. Um, we then tried to put you on um, contraception for two years. And I said, yeah. but I said, I don't need a contraception. I've been sterilised. All oh, right, well, we can skip that one then. <laughs> and I was like... Contraception seems to be, it's a panacea yeah, yeah. for all of women's ills. It's and the it, go-to quick fix. And what's scary is is that it's not body identical, so it's, it, it's really just... <laughs> And a body that it shouldn't be in your body <laughs> unless you need it for contraception yeah. so I was yes. like okay I said and then we could look at the coil I said well I had the coil in I said if you look at my records I said and it actually made me suicidal I said so I really yeah. don't want that again I said and I don't need yeah. it and then he was like hmm well we'll just have to do some more exploration then um I said right I said so in the blood test what are they looking for in terms of perimenopause what what would show perimenopause high levels of SHE which is your hormones the hormone levels because when that's high that tells you that you're menopausal that the estrogen levels have dropped but they have to be within a certain range so my argument was how do you know whether my levels my starting point Mm. was within range anyway I said because you've not got the starting point I said so I said, the only thing that's good good about the um, the blood test, I said, is that you might be able to identify any other issues that could be causing me similar symptoms. I said, like a thyroid issue or, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it came out that I had a deficiency in vitamin D. So immediately, yeah. I'd, I didn't even get a phone call. It was, you've got a vitamin D deficiency, this is your prescription, it's been sent to your pharmacy. So there's no discussion. Yeah. And I thought, actually, I live in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, Yeah, it's not great, the weather. And I have been working a lot from home, so I've been inside a lot. But I do make an effort to go out every day. I'm like trying to wade up, and I'm thinking... And then I did another little research, and it was actually when you have a drop in oestrogen levels, your vitamin D can become deficient. So there was a link there. So I was like, okay. So I rang the doctors and said, I'll take the prescription gladly. I said, because obviously if I'm deficient, I need to improve that. I said, but I'm still not happy that you're trying to tell me that all these other symptoms are related because I've not got enough vitamin D in my body. That is not acceptable. I want another appointment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I asked for another blood test to sit within my lethal phase because I had my first blood test in my follicular phase. So I... so I went to the doctor, it was the nurse, and he said, well, why are you having another blood test in this, um, you know, my cycle? He was like, what a waste of time. I said, tell me about it. I said, but this is how it is. And I got quite upset um, because of mm. that. Um, so I asked to speak to the practice manager. And I just said, "Is that there's nobody in this practice that deals with women's health. I said, I think it's appalling. I said, I'd like to put that to the board the next time you meet that you need to get somebody trained. Mm. Um, I said, I'm not happy the fact that I've been fobbed off with vitamin D tablets to tell me that yeah. these symptoms are going to go away. I said, because they're not. Um, nobody's listening to me. Um, and mm. she said, I'm going to ask the doctor to give you a call. So the doctor actually said, can you come in? And I was, I was, I was upset. I was angry, upset, you know, that whole... Mm. And um, he tried to tell me then that I was depressed. This happens so much with women, this idea that we're being hysterical, yep. that we it's all in our head. Mm. You know, I've been to a doctor before and they've, they've said to me with a head tilt, do you worry a lot? Yeah. As if to <laughs> say, I've created all of this in my head. Mm. And you start to believe it's true, you don't do. you? 
at points you believe that you're making this up that this is it it makes you feel like you're going crazy so at this point I was like pardon he said well I think you might be depressed I said well first of all said you don't know anything about me I said apart from what's on that screen I said I am not depressed I said, I suffer from low mood, I said, but I also suffer from, from uh, hair loss, I suffer from um, hot flushes, I suffer from <laughs> mind fog. Um, I said, I have all these symptoms, I said, and they are all related to the perimenopause. I said, and, I said, you need to remember, I said, the nice guidance, I said, that stipulates that anybody coming with symptoms for perimenopause or menopause, I said, should not be offered antidepressants as the first rule of thumb. I said, I want HRT. And that was how I, I I just stopped him in his tracks. I said, I find it very upsetting. I said that women in your practice, I said, are not being heard and listened to. I said that there is nobody who specialises in women's health care. When was the last time you trained in women's health care? And he couldn't answer me. Um, and I, I honestly feel that because I equip myself with how I was, my understanding of me, myself, and I did a lot of research and reading around the, the symptoms and things that you can do to help yourself. And I was aware of the guidance that had been put in place that had been revisited in 2019. I think because I had all of that, I was able to say, no, you're wrong. And this is what I want. A lot of women go into the doctors and the immediate things, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like me anymore. And immediately, I mean, I'm not dissing GPs at all. I think they're doing an absolutely remarkable job. I, I, I'm not here to say that. What I'm here to say is that they look at symptoms in isolation and think, how could I treat that symptom? How could I treat that symptom? And when somebody comes in and, and is, you know, displaying signs of depression or anxiety, which the menopause does, it immediately they think well I'll fix that with that now I offer training to um I, I, I offer women's well-being training and one of the um the the units of work that I do is around menopause and going speaking to your GP about it and there was one lady in particular that came to me she was very you know the brick wall was up her body language was very closed from the very start and as we went further into the course she was more you know, open, and it got to the point where she just said, well, I'm not on HRT, I take antidepressants. And I asked her, I said, how long have you been on them? She said, several years. I said, have you been offered any sort of counselling or CBT? No. And I was like, wow, this is what they do. <laughs> They're treating the, the, the depression. And I just said, please go and speak to your doctor. Ask them to explore HRT with you. Ask them about possibly having some CBT um, because that is a, another way of getting through the depression and the anxiety side of, of um, the symptoms of menopause. I said, and just explore it, have a conversation. Um, she came back two weeks later that she'd been taken off for antidepressants and she was now on HRT and she was feeling that she was moving forward in the right way. I got an email a couple of months later. I feel like a new person. I feel like me again. And I was mm. like, women just need to listen. All it takes is that knowledge. Yeah. That mm. knowledge. And, and, you know, GPs are not having... Well, they are now, mm. but it was published in July 2022. It was the first, which I can't believe it's the first women's health strategy for oh, England I know. to tackle the gender health gap. Mm. Um, and so it, they now will have training yeah. in women's health. I think that's it comes but into what place. What needs to happen yeah. short term, do you think? Because obviously that's going to be long term. We we might not feel the benefits no. of that. I think. What can we do short term? I think what we need to do is need to look at the realms of control. What are you in control of as you? Um, equipping yourself with, and I, I bang on about this all the time. Self care is so important, especially for women. Just to be aware of the self, where you feel, what you're feeling, how you're feeling, what you need. Trying to make some sort of sense of it by, you know, monitoring it, tracking it, writing a journal, just getting something down somewhere so that when you do have those conversations with your healthcare professional, you've got the tools to say, actually, you don't forget things and you don't say, actually, well, I should have said this, I should have said that. You you can do that. I mean, I, I can't, I cannot 
emphasising off the importance of doing that and the Balance app really helped me with um, that's run by Dr Louise Nuisance in the App Store for every, everyone to use. I will put a link to that yeah. in the episode summary yeah, for everybody. Because I just think that is a really good tool and it also helps you organise yourself ready to go and have that difficult conversation with your GP. And I'm hoping mm. that, you know, if you if the bit that you can control is telling and being to articulate exactly how you're feeling and what you need um, and saying that to the GP. You're not in control of what how the GP handles things and I'm hoping that as this um this the the new um women's health um, charter it comes to um, fruition and it, you know it's implemented across the board I'm hoping that how how that happens is more GPs actually say do you know what this is I am not giving my women in my practice a, a good enough service here I need to upskill myself mm-hmm. I need to put myself out there and, and get this sorted out and all new GPs from 2024 are giving statutory training, but that doesn't help, you know, my GP's been long serving and doesn't have that training, you know. So yeah. I think it's yeah. asking, you know, not being afraid to ask the questions, why can't I have this? What what else is there out there? How long, you know, how, how often do you have women's healthcare training? When was the last time that you did that question? The person that's, you know, that, that's giving you this advice because if you can just sort of like prompt them into thinking, well, actually, I haven't really got any training in this. And this woman has come to me with all this information. She knows what she's talking about. She knows her own self. Why am I not listening to this? Why am I not doing something about it? So I guess it's about take control of the things you can control and you're in control of yourself. So empower yourself. Know what is going on in your own body. Be self-aware and find out, research and get the information, gather gather the research and the evidence to suggest what what you need <laughs> yeah it's my biggest thing and as women we're used to the research offering us a variety mm. of possible self-care solutions ranging from mindfulness yoga yeah. the, or the pill yeah. supplements acupuncture mm. gluten-free diets even down to the cleaning products that we yeah. use what has worked for you in terms of managing your own health um i will honestly say is building very small habits into my day and putting a boundary around that time um I get up every morning I get up when everybody else is fast asleep in bed I get up early um I make hot lemon water I have hot lemon water I let the dog out to go to the to, to relieve himself and I take some big deep breaths of fresh air as fresh air as it can be um and then I do some I do some yoga stretching um and then I meditate and I do that every single morning and that sets me up for the day. I'm also very um, self-aware in the sense that throughout the day we'll stop and pause and say, how am I feeling right now? What do I need? And not being afraid to give myself what I need. Um, I think as women we struggle to, to implement anything for ourselves because we feel guilty. We feel that we should be doing things for others. And I think when you switch that mindset, and this is a lot of my work is around this, so when we switch the mindset of putting yourself first gives everybody else the best of you. Um, you know, when we, when we come from a good place, we can give a lot better. Um, and my children and my husband and my friends, they've all noticed how I've, when, when I'm with them, I'm more present, I'm, you know, I'm focused, I give them everything that they need <laughs> and I do it knowing that it's come from a place of from from me that that where I'm in a good place and I think to switch that mindset of actually put myself first then I can give back to others better that that takes a lot of work a lot of unlearning because we are conditioned as women to be the caregivers to do everything for everybody else and to be the bottom of the pile and we need to rewrite that narrative and I'm starting that with young people in the work that I do, I know that you. it starts with you. You've got to start from that place because everything that comes from you grows from you. And if you're not in a good place to nourish and give back to others and because you've not got enough nourishment in yourself, you, you, you're in a losing battle. Yeah, and actually we're, we're needed more 
in this part of life in a way. I know Catelyn Moran explores this in More Than a Woman, the idea that we're done when we, you know, as, as 20, in our 20s, it might have been a case of, oh, we're going through all the beginning and, you know, get, getting our period and, you know, we've got pregnancy to come possibly, um, you know, and we think that when we're in our 30s, things will calm down and we can start to, I guess, enjoy it to a certain element, to a certain extent, sorry. But then along comes the caring. So our children grow up and our parents get older and we're, we're required so much more. And actually, that's when we're going through them for a lot of physical and mental change mm, as definitely. well. Definitely. I mean, when you look at, I mean, my scenario, I've got two teenage boys who are going through hormone changes, find out who they are, their own sexuality, who they want to be, what they want to be. Um, I've got um, my marriage, which is, you know, a long-serving, suffering marriage. It's not suffering, honestly, but um, a long-serving marriage. We've been married for 22 years together for 28. That takes a lot of work. Um, you know, the, 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 how you grow and evolve together um, and as individuals and how you complement each other. And then your parents. You know, my parents, my dad's 72. My mum's 66. Um, and we... It, my husband's mum and she was you know she was 76 when she died and you just think there's you know the the caring side of it making sure that you're there for them um and if you think i think there's a there's a um, there's an interesting study that's been done that women um who are in menopause <laughs> you know that there's such like a window of about between four and eight years where they're not actually required to do anything they can just be themselves and I think that window happens when we that's when we start to slow down and realize that actually I need to do something for myself here and I think that's that gap you know that between the, the caring of, of young children and the caring of elderly parents um there is that and you just think we, we do definitely need to sort of like be proactive in our our understanding of how we look after ourselves and self-care is a proactive practice. Um, and I always talk about this of, you know, is it a proactive or a reactive? It's reactive when you're dealing with crisis and stress that, that's not being, you know, that, that's out of your control. But it's actually a proactive approach that maintains your resilience and your energy levels and your, your mindset. You know, these are things that we need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it changes, it ebbs and flows, things change change with the seasons your self-care practice isn't set in stone there's certain things that you will keep and maintain but certain things that you know I used to love I used to box I'd, I've not boxed for a while you know that that's sort of like it's 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 part of a season of my life that's happened and that I've not returned to at the moment I might do I might not <laughs> yeah. but it's and it's letting go of those things yeah. as, as women as our bodies change which they do all the time I think I mean I used to run half marathons I cannot run at all anymore more. I can't my body just won't take to it it sends my hormones crazy I get fatigue and it's really hard isn't it letting go of the things that you used to love to do and but then it's finding new ones exactly and I think having that awareness that nothing lasts forever you know what mm. nourishes one minute won't nourish you the next you know I mean yeah it is forever evolving I, I want to talk a little bit about um you talked about how you've learned to stop and, and think about what you need in your day. And I think there's a certain element to, I know having been, I'm back in the classroom now, but I have been self-employed for a year. Um, and what was really lovely about that, obviously you have the pressures of still having to make a living out of what you're doing. So there is that element, but being self-employed, you can, you can tailor your days somewhat so that you can have these little spots. And now, I'm back in the classroom and that is really hard to do now that there's there's these requirements of me and then when I get home there's I'm parent and like you talked about the guilt the guilt when I come home that perhaps I don't have enough for my own children when I get home that's huge so I keep going so I, I'm finding it hard to find those spots thinking about our experiences in education and your experiences in education up until now have you felt supported as a woman with your health um in my setting that I was in, yes, um, but I know that that isn't across the board, is it? Um, and I think what is happening, I think there is a shift and I think a lot of people, I mean, the head teachers that I work with, um, 
have asked for how how do I support my staff with the self care? How do I look at women's health um, and support women's health um, within my setting? What can I offer? What can I do? And every single setting is different because every single setting has a different group of people working there with different needs. Um, your relationships with those colleagues are different as well. Um, so I. You know, it's, it's something that, when, when I talk about well-being, I think connection is a massive thing um, and relationships within your workplace. So it's about people who are making the decisions about how they support people, having those relationships and knowing their staff very clearly, you know, what do they need, what are they going through? But also on the same level, it's about staff being a little bit more vulnerable and opening up and saying, look, this is where I'm at and this is what I need. Um, it's those conversations and those are quite tricky if you're not in a school where you can have those conversations um, and I think it's how do we bridge that gap how do we create those connections how do we stop the stigmas associated with um, lots of different health issues how do we stop the judgment you know yeah. and I think that's key people feel so embarrassed don't they as well mm. still there's still that yeah you know the stigma about you know talking about periods or mm. oh, I'm on my period mm. and I feel awful or you know we're getting better at that part yeah. but thinking about menopause according to the National Education Union there are an estimated 3.5 million women over the age of 50 in work and that number will rise obviously as the retirement age increases so what kind of things not just for menopause but just women's health overall what can the workplace do what can the leaders in the school put in place just a couple I think of I think ideas? I mean from what I tend to suggest with um with I mean I was, I was having this conversation actually the other day with um Patrick Cotley O'Connor <laughs> he um he was talking about how he supported his staff in menopause and what he did um he was you know he made fans available just simple things like having fans available in the, in the office. You didn't even have to do anything. You just had a little book, sign it out so that we knew where it had gone. Um, and, you know, you didn't have to ask for it. You just took it, put it in the classroom that you were working in. Having um, facilities um, for, for women in toilets, you know, um, sanitary products, things like, you know, just to make sure that, you know, if you're caught short, if something happens, you've got something there, you know, you're not having to worry yeah. about it. Yeah. Such a simple thing that why don't we have yeah. that? I just when you say that, and I think of the toilets. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah I was at um, I was at a football stadium um, the other week, and I walked into the ladies' toilets, and I and I was on my period, and I'd forgotten to take my um, my sanitary product. I was like, oh, for goodness' sake! And I just looked up, and it was like somebody had just just put this thing from heaven <laughs> on the wall, <laughs> and it was it was free sanitary products, free sanitary products in a football stadium. Yeah. So football wow, stadiums can do it, why on, and that was yeah. Bolton Wanderers, by the way. Um, but if if they can do it, why can't we do it in school? Yeah. Where we've got like you know, especially in primary schools, the majority of um, staff, you know, your percentage of women to men is just ridiculous. So I just think, well, why aren't we doing that? I mean, a lot of schools that I'm working with do do that. I must, I am going to say that. Um, so just having like products available. And also, you know, that being able to go to team leaders, you know, I've got migraine, I, I need to I need to go home without any questioning of, well, actually, can you not just wait for another half an hour and finish this session? <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, that openness of being able to say, look, I'm not feeling great today and, and I'm, I'm here, but I might need to go home. You know, open conversations. And I think, you know, having a space where staff can actually go to that's, you know, cool, that's, you know, non-intrusive, that's quiet, that's away from, like, the photocopier or just having a quiet space where people can just be. Um, yeah, we have them for the children so yeah. often now, these calm corners, yeah. but not for the yeah. adults. and it's just that... <laughs> I think, for me, I mean, especially in primary school settings, I think to have that ability to actually go and speak to somebody who can say, actually, yeah, you need to go home or just take what you need, do what you need to do. I mean, I've had staff that tell me that they brought, that one lady, she used to come to work dressed all in black all the time. And um, she used to have a full change of clothes, the exact cost, like clo clothing that she wore because she would flood and she would have to go into the staff toilets and get changed. Now that shouldn't be happening. We should be saying, you know, if you're having a day like that, you know, build them into the, the working week, you know, you know, and, and just saying, you know, coming up to, 
I'm having a bit of a time at the moment having those conversations, being able to have those conversations and it not to be judged or frowned upon if you need to go home, you know. This is the problem, I think. You know, there's so many women out there who would love to be able to go and say that, but it, they know that it's going to be met with judgment or that you're not pulling your weight or that you're trying to get out of work. Um, and we, we need... We need that level of comfort, don't we? We need that to be able to be that vulnerable because actually, you know, that, that, that journey that you've been on, that you've been talking about, this constant having to fight to get what you need can have a profound effect on our mental health. It, you know, although we do have, you know, episodes of depression and anxiety as part of these changes, they actually can be instigated by the pressure and the frustration that you're oh, constantly gosh. met with. And I think as well that maintaining this you know putting the smile on your face as you walk through the door and inside you're actually crying and you've got to put the smile on your face you've got to be all and do everything and and be happy and upbeat and then behind closed doors you're falling apart and that in itself is draining trying to be something that you're not you know and it breaks my heart i mean i mean some schools are looking at having people you know um counsellors for staff um, so they can actually just offload and go in and speak you know just having somebody in a safe space to to offload to um, and I think as well I mean I I'm very open with my children and with my husband about what I'm going through and I think it's really important as men and young men they understand this is part of life and this is what women go through and how they can support us you know, many a time, I, you know, I, I ring my husband on the way home, I'll say I've had a bit of a day of it, I feel really, really drained. And he'll come home and he'll just say, I've got something for you, and it's like a block of dairy milk or... <laughs> and it's just those little things, and I'm going, I'm trying yeah. to lose weight. And he's like, yeah, but you need chocolate, I know you do, because that's what you've told me, it's yeah. one of your things. And it's like, mm. And, you know, just knowing that when I'm shutting the door to my bedroom, that's me just having quiet space, and I don't need interrupting. And I need, you know, it's just having those conversations like when I'm snapping, it's not because of you, it's because of how I feel and I'm trying my best to control that and I'm, and apologising when you know that you've done something out of sorts, you know. Um, and I, I actually sat down with my children and said, look, this is what HRT is, this is why I'm taking it because my estrogen levels have dropped and that means that I can be really quite moody and really upset, teary, I can ache and I'm tired all the time and I've got brain fog, I forget things. And they're like, oh, that, that makes those realise, mum, now, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? And I'm yeah. sorry if we're upsetting you and you, you know, it's that thing of them understanding yeah because I want I want my yeah. boys you know to grow up as men that understand the, the, the women around them and that they can empathize mm. it's so important mm. that they're educated in both men's and women's oh. health isn't it it's you know they are we are and th- part of the population yeah. it's it's you know we yeah. have to, we they have to understand and I think going back to schools as well I think the men in, in the school need to to be aware of it because you've got men who are you know senior leaders and the women don't feel that they can come and speak to them because they don't want to embarrass them. They might be younger than them, you know, they might be their children's age and they're in, you know, they're in the, this senior leadership role. There's one school I was working at, this lady, she's, you know, in the mid-50s, and she said, there's times where I've got mad migraine, I just want to say, it's the menopause. I've not got COVID, it's the menopause. And and I need, I need to go home. She said, but I can't because I feel like I'm going to make him feel uncomfortable. And I'm like... We've kind of got to make them feel uncomfortable, yeah. haven't we? That's the only way through it is to break that barrier yeah. and just to start saying yeah, do you know, it. and just talk openly about it. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I yeah. do think that that is really important because, and I, I think when you look at marriage statistics, you know, divorce statistics of women of a certain age, you know, the, the divorce rates ramp up and you think that's... Yeah. And suicide Indeed. rates. Yeah. I could not believe yeah. when I saw, I haven't got the figures with me, but suicide rates for women from age 40 to 54, I think it was, are just huge. Because they're, they're just trying to deal with things that they don't know anything about, they don't know what's happening to them, and they believe that it's going to be like that forever. Your oestrogen levels that you mentioned earlier, did you did that show up in bloods eventually? So your, can, can your oestrogen levels show up in your blood? No. <laughs> 
they can they, right, they can yeah. in extremes i guess um and at, but it would have to be really the, yeah the guidance says that any woman over 45 shouldn't be given a blood test anyway because it's a pointless exercise so the fact that I was 44 having a blood test just because on paper I was 44 while well, almost 44 um yeah um the, so you just had to so you just had to follow what you believed in yeah. that you believed your estrogen levels were mm-hmm. they were dropping dropping yeah. I'm de- yeah and so you went with that and you took HRT yeah I'm now on um and is it helping it is I'll be honest with you the first month or so was a bit ropey and rocky and I was like what on earth have I done mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. I, I can honestly say I, d- I describe the the influx of estrogen I likened it to you know your hormone levels when you were pregnant um how they, they right. would be up and down you know that whoo you know the whole yeah teary moments and getting angry and upset and and I just literally had to I, I, I up my meditation not my medication my meditation <laughs> um <laughs> and I, I took myself away from situations when I felt myself bubbling and I just thought I just need to calm down but I've got the strategies I've got the toolkit for myself yeah to know how to bring myself to that point of calm and and get myself to a, a, a happier state you know mm. but I think that that's that's the key isn't it it's about knowing yourself the self-awareness yeah. but yeah I mean I've got my review and that died down after a month uh, a month or so yeah because I mean, it I'm on the patches and I think there's lots of different ways that you can take it I don't like taking tablets um and obviously I think there's that niggle isn't there well HRT the link to you know breast cancer and you're taking tablets and all that but then I think I decided that I was going to take patches after a discussion with my GP when he finally agreed that I could go on them. Um, and for me, I, I I think I'm at a point now, I've got my review on Friday. Um, so that's really important that when you do start your HRT journey that you book in some time with your GP to discuss how, how you've been feeling. I've recorded everything down. Um, so I will say, you know, at the very beginning I was like, uh, which <laughs> I was horrible. Um, this is the, these are the things that I did to try and deal with that and cope with that. Um, this second phase, the second month, um, I've not been as bad. Um, I don't know whether that's me just in anticipation of it and I've perhaps, you know, really been more mindful of it. Um, but... I feel my energy levels have gone through the roof. I feel like I've got so much energy. I feel like I have turned a corner in that sense. Um, my hair is a lot better. My nails aren't as brittle. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to, I'm actually, I've got my dental appointment because that, that's another thing that happened is um, I started, um, I got a cavity and I'm never normally, um, my, my oral hygiene has been pretty good. Um, not when I was younger, but as I've got older. Um, but then the last couple of um, appointments, it's been very much like, oh, actually, you've got your gums aren't in the great order. And yeah. and I'm thinking, oh, God. Yeah. But this is another, it yeah. It affects everything, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, so it's like, so my, my, I feel like my, de- my oral hygiene's improved. And I feel like I'm going to be going and not having to have any work done. Um my brain fog has got better it's still not 100 percent. i'm still not sharp as a pin but um it's lessened i feel more in control i don't feel conscious of it anymore um and like i said my energy levels have improved and i've reduced the days where you know you get those days where you really just don't want to get out of bed those days have sort of like subsided and i'm up and i've got my routine i feel just so i feel more in control i feel more like nick and that's all I wanted. And I think the biggest thing for me is, yeah, I'm 44 and I'm perhaps nowhere near the average age of having menopause. But premenopausal symptoms can start 10 years beforehand. And it's that... This is what so many people don't realise. I think I even said to a GP that perhaps I I was going through the perimenopause. Yeah. And I am 38, so I would be going through it quite young. Mm-hmm. But like you say, 10 years before, you know, 48 isn't massively outside no. of the, the menopausal time. No. Um, yeah, so what kind of... If people are listening and thinking, perhaps I am going through perimenopause, what kind of symptoms... Should you be looking out for for perimenopause? So, um, sleep, um, change patterns in sleep, change in your periods 
um, mine reduced in the number of days that I was having my period um, and they got heavier so um, there could be a complete change in how your um, cycle works it might be that you, you might skip a period or you know there's all sorts of so changing your periods um, sleep for me it was changing my hair and my nails um, the gum disease um, that was that was a, a big one. Brain fog, um, feel it hot flushes. Um, I used to, to get mine at night a lot. You know, so much so that I'd wake up and I'd be sweating like bucket loads. Um, diarrhea was another thing. So changing bowel movement. Um, for me, it was the unexplained anxiety. Now I'm not an anxious person, but I'd get waves of oh. You know, that, that out of controlness and, and worry, which wasn't me, dropping my energy levels more than anything um, because that affected my exercise. And does this, all these symptoms you're describing, in your experience, did they come in a, in a, in a cycle? Were they cyclical or were they constant? Um, see, I... Because I've been monitoring it quite closely, I noticed they were more cyclic. So when, when you look at your menstrual cycle, you have your follicular phase and your luteal phase. And your luteal phase is where your estrogen levels drop. So for me, I did notice that it was certain a couple of weeks, you know, after having my period, that I was, I was feeling these more so. But I think you don't recognise them unless you're looking for them. I know it sounds really daft. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it, because I actually started the practice of how am I feeling, what do I need, and building those within my day, just like five minutes in the car, how am I feeling now? Right, what do I need? Mm. You know, that, that awareness, self-awareness, and the more you are become self-aware, the more you notice the things that are quite small. And it's only when you start to record them and, and link them up, you think, actually, this is building a bigger picture. It's like in teaching, isn't it? You know, when you you know safeguarding a child, you know you, you notice little things like you know the uniforms not been changed or they've not brought the PE kit or they're hungry, and all these little tiny things start to build up, and create that picture. And it's only when you actually give yourself that time and the permission to actually stop and pause and ask yourself those questions and start to reflect and be self-aware that you actually start to pick up on these things. And I think that's that's the heart of the work that I do is is that. The more we can be switched on about ourselves and the more we can give ourselves what we need, the more preventative our, our, our work on ourselves is going to be and we're going to avoid burnout, we're going to avoid mental health and wellbeing issues developing later on and health issues. It's just that build it, just protecting ourselves and, and thinking how can I be the best version of me today and what can I do today to help myself for tomorrow and it's that 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 idea isn't it and women don't do that because it's not in our nature no. we need to get better at that most definitely and finally Nicola how can people find you and how can you support our listeners I know you've delivered online workshops on women's health before do you plan to deliver yeah I mean I, what I do is tend to put out um workshops uh, on my Eventbrite so you, if you go on my website um, and I usually advertise on Twitter as well um, my Twitter handle is sphoenix78 or zenic w um, I, d I don't tend to use my business side of it it's just me <laughs> I think because I am yeah. me it's just Nick doing what she does <laughs> um, yes yeah so um, zenic wellbeing.co.uk um, is my website and you can get in touch with me at nicola.owen at zenitwellbeing.co.uk um, but yeah a lot of the I, 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 so, I, I tend to listen to what people need and then make suggestions you know it's that sure. so if people contact yeah, you um, a lot of the work that I do with schools is very bespoke it's about where the staff are at because every every school's different you know the makeup of every school um, and families are different it's just a case of just get in touch and let's have a conversation um, and I, I do do I, I offer free things I offer th things that are just like you know just pay what you want I do all sorts of different um, offers really um, obviously I've got to pay my mortgage but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do I mean my the work that I do comes from a place of wanting to, to make things better 
it doesn't come from a place yeah. of making money um, that's not who I am um, yeah and wonderful that you've come on here to talk about this because there will be people listening that now they can start their journey mm. in, fi- in discovering and finding out what's going on for them and meeting their own needs yeah. so thank you so oh. much for coming to share your experiences thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure Nicola it was so heartwarming to talk to you your care and compassion for others really does shine through if you want to connect with Nicola you can find her on Twitter on at sphoenix78 and Instagram on at zenic underscore wellbeing you can find out about how Nicola can support you on her website zenicwellbeing.co.uk if you want to know more about us at Mindfulness for Learning you can find us on Twitter and Instagram on at mforlearning and explore our website mindfulnessforlearning.com thanks to Ben Corbett for editing this episode and thanks to you for listening. See you next time.